0: the sounds distorted any it's because I was holding Micah (laughs) that'd be the test of a a quality lapel mic right all right um, Hebrews chapter 11 in our Bibles Hebrews chapter 11 All right, somewhere in there we are. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we got somewhere to about uh, verse 18 to 22 last week, I don't remember exactly, I know the last few moments we were emphasizing Abraham and his offering up of Isaac and so on, but remember in the scope of Hebrews, this fits in, chapter 11, I call it here the diaries of faith, because we're looking at the whole concept of past examples of faith. All right, In other words, past examples of people that uh, uh, were, were challenged somehow or another, and they believed God, and God worked in their lives in such a way. And remember, that's, that's all in the concept of, all right, if we, if we in our lives, if we stop and look back, recall, remember what God has done, that helps fortify us for the present as well as for the future, right? That's, that's kind of the general idea of all of this fitting in. And uh, this all does fit together, um, by the way. And, and so we, uh, in chapter 11, of course, often this is, you know, referred to as the Hall of Faith or the Great Faith chapter. But again, it fits into a context uh, in the book of Hebrews, which is all about because of who Christ is, what He's done, we're to look to Him and we're to draw near, remember, and to hold steadfast to our faith and we're to be considering one another. So this fits into all of that here uh, as he looks back on past examples of of faith and how God worked to uh, give the present those in that first century, and then of course by application us today, but uh, those present readers there of the book of Hebrews uh, to fortify their faith so that they'll be able to keep on uh, in their faith and keep on trusting Christ and so on, right? Now, uh, we were running through this, looking at the uh, the examples that he's given, and and I'm just going to kind of... For sake of trying to make a transition here, um, in verse 18 of chapter 11, we'll pray in just a second, uh, of whom it said, that's uh, Isaac, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, um, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. And then by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph worshiping, leaning upon his staff. Remember that took place in Egypt after Jacob had moved down to Egypt. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And then that, that leads to really the next kind of section in looking back in these diaries of faith. And that is... Uh, begins with Moses. Basically, Moses, Joshua, and Rahab are the three examples given in this next section. Actually, Moses' parents as well. Um, uh, of the stage, if you want to say, of uh, the exodus from Egypt and then the conquest into the land of Canaan. Now, remember, there's a running theme through here, too, about the promise. The promise that God made, uh, basically, you know, speaking specifically with Abraham, all right, promise to Abraham and then to his uh, descendants, all right, remember in, uh, in it, first you see it in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, reiterated in, in uh, at least in chapter 15, chapter 17, uh, and 18, and even in 19, um, you see uh, this promise to Abraham, this Abrahamic covenant and there's really three areas that are involved in that. God promised that he would have a land, all right? That promised land, land of Canaan, it would be Abraham and his descendants, or basically it would be, belong to his descendants. And then uh, his seed would be prolific. He would, he would have innumerable amount of descendants. And it's interesting, this uh, earlier this morning I was going back and re- rereading some of those passages and uh, I, I can't remember now if it's in the Genesis 15 or Genesis 17, but God just really stresses that, you know, there's going to be innumerable number of descendants, but also kings were going to come from him and many nations, it says. I mean, you think about that, there's a lot, of, a lot of other nations besides Israel that have had, you know, a, a beginning in Abraham. Um, and then, uh, so not just the land and that just you know, innumerable descendants, but then specifically also threaded throughout all of that is there is a special seed that is promised to Abraham, that there would be the seed of Abraham come. And the book of Galatians uh, hits home on that a lot and specifies, okay, that seed individually is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that special promised one That's important when you think about, particularly now as you get into uh, the examples of Moses and so on, you you see how it really uh, fits into that, all right? So let's do this this morning. I'm going to ask you all, I'll ask Pastor Brinker to begin in verse 23, and you all, if you would, just read through the rest of chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because... By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover in the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the first bar should touch him. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land. The Egyptians, as they were to do work, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. What shall I more say for the time when fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets? Who through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire, and sleep the edge of the sword. <coughs> Women received their dead, rise to life again, and others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better re- resurrection. And others had a trial of full mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, the of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted slain of the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. All right, in the in this context, I think verses thirty-nine and forty are extremely important here. All these examples are given, but they, all these people here, they receive not the promise. All right. And then it refers to really basically doesn't word it exactly this way, but the implication then with this, and then as it goes into chapter twelve, is we've received the promise. The promise has now come. It's been realized. And we need to cling to that promise, okay? And we'll get more to that as we get into those verses. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump right in here, beginning in verse 23, all right? Thank you, Lord, for your word and this opportunity this morning. Help us as we continue on in uh, these uh, great examples of faith throughout uh, human history here, and particularly in these Old Testament days uh, as they really serve... Um, as, as not just testimonies in general of your grace, but examples for us. And uh, Lord, then as we uh, get into the next chapter, we see the great example of faith. Um, but Lord, we just pray that you'd help us uh, and please work in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the next section, you had the, the, in chapter 11, the pre-flood time patriarchal time now the exodus and conquest period beginning in verse 23 says by faith Moses when he was born was hid three months now this is an interesting way this is worded all right because it says by faith Moses all right it's almost you almost might take it that it's talking of Moses's faith now in a way okay but But obviously it says, was hid, so this is a passive, it's an action not done to him, or not, he didn't do it, it was done to him, so it's really talking about his parents. But this is interesting if you think about it, all right? If it was by faith, based on everything we've talked about in the last weeks, if it was by faith, what does that mean? Moses' parents had to have some kind of revelation from God, specifically about Moses, in order to respond in faith, right? That their actions were by faith, but we're not, we don't have the record of what that was, okay? Uh, we just have a reference to it here. So, somehow or another, when Moses was born, it seems that God, somehow or another, let Moses' parents know, now, at least, that this was a special baby. Now, whether or not they knew everything about Moses and all of that. I don't know, okay? But the bottom line is that that prompted them to respond to God and trust that God was going to use that particular baby to do something for him in this whole scheme, this whole line of this promise, right? And obviously Moses had a... a uh, I'm trying to think how I mean Moses' role in all of this was one of a you know is a great thing obviously, but the, I was thinking about this as well, and in case I forget to say it later, let me say it now. But you know when you think about that, sometimes I think we can be so concerned with greatness that we neglect faithfulness. When you think of the scheme of all the people involved in this whole promise of God and everybody, in fact, there's so many unnamed characters in this line, you know, again, we, we, we focus so many times on the greatness, you know, like, I mean, Moses, obviously, he had a great role in, all, in, in this, but what about all the, you know, the several generations before Moses, before his parents? I mean, they had to be faithful in in some degree in order for God's plan to be carried out. They're not looked at as having some great role, but they just just had a normal role. But it was, in the whole scope of things, without their role, Moses wouldn't have come about. I mean, and I think his parents serve as an example here, right? They're named here, right? There's others, many others that aren't named, but Moses' parents... I mean, all they did was basically see that there was some kind of potential in this child that God was going to use. And they did what was necessary to preserve him. Because as the verses said that were read, I mean, the king had, Pharaoh had commanded that Moses be killed. Not Moses specifically as such, but all the male children, remember, were to be killed, thrown into the river. Now, I think it's interesting too in the way in which Moses' mother uh did preserve his life. She did cast him in the river. <laughs> uh she just made sure that he could stay alive when he was in the river. I mean, so you think about it, I mean, in a way, maybe she was kind of saying, Well, I did technically put him in the river, okay? But uh but what I'm what I'm getting at is though, I mean, uh our lives, I mean, in a way, you know, when we think about God's will, God's plan, we focus on our lives, right? And, and it's right to, okay, because, but, but what I'm also saying is, we're just a piece in a great big, a much bigger picture and scheme of things as well. And we, we you know, we, we need to keep that in mind as well. All right, so let me let me move on here, so we don't don't not get anywhere this morning. But uh, so in this in this next period, the Exodus, the conquest into the land of Canaan, you have a partial procurement of the promise. All right, God had made a promise, and it seems like throughout that whole patriarchal time, it was simply just a promise. They didn't have any reception of any of the things that God had promised, really, except Abraham did eventually have Isaac as a son, right? Although, you know, Isaac really wasn't the focus of that promised seed. He was a step in it, but he wasn't the fulfillment ultimately of that, right? And so, but when you get to this point in time, you see now through the exodus from Egypt and then going into Canaan eventually, although Moses didn't lead him into that, Joshua had to. But you see the now get partial receiving of what God had promised, all right? So the next stage in this. So Moses' parents, they hid him for three months. It's interesting, it says by faith, but then it says because they saw he was a proper child. Uh, And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So, in other words, their faith or their faith in God. And I think you can maybe even say it this way: they feared God in a general sense. They probably realized it was wrong to kill their son. Okay, but then secondly, they had enough. So they had enough fear of God to do right and not kill him, and not fear the king's commandment. But at the same time, somehow or another, they they knew something about this. Again, what all they knew, I don't know but they knew something so that they knew they had to preserve his life, all right? And, and as we get into the, the section here specifically about Moses, we'll see some more about that, all right? But, uh, but you have Moses' parents, and basically their role was simply to preserve Moses alive. They hid him for three months, and then as Exodus says, they could, when they could no longer hide him, all right? I mean, you know, you can only keep a baby quiet to such a degree, I guess you could say, and, and all of that. Three months old is all. All right. Then they come up with a plan and they, you know, they make the, the ark. It's interesting. It's an ark, right? Uh, very small scaled size of Noah's ark, but the uh, same purpose-to preserve him. All right. Um, and then uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Of course, Moses' sister kind of goes as a spy and uh, watch and see what would happen. And then Pharaoh's daughter finds him and has compassion on him. Again, uh, you know, all of that fits into God's plan somehow or another, all right? I mean, you know, God, God, God knew how the, the, the right parties would react, of course, and all of this stuff. I mean, God, God, God knows far more, obviously, than any of individuals and, and all the individuals combined uh, in all of this. But it, it all fits into God's plan, His big picture, and then for each individual and all of that as well. But it says they saw you as a proper child. It, literally, all right, the, the, the word tr- uh, translated proper" here is often like the idea of well, you know, good-looking, well-formed. But it can also have uh, the idea that they saw more than just physical features. They knew this was the right. Child, That kind of an idea. And I, I think that's probably more than it. It wasn't just, oh, he's such a good-looking baby, we can't kill him. I mean, you know, that, that kind of an idea. But um, so, so they were prompted, and they, they did what was right, and they, they had to put themselves at risk. And by the way, that's, that is often involved in faith. There's risks from the human standpoint involved in believing God, trusting God. All right? Uh, I got to move on, verse 24. by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. All right So uh, here Moses rolls specifically now, all right He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then there's a number of descriptions about that, and I'll get back to those in just a second. And then the next basic idea is that he forsook Egypt down in verse 27. All right, so everything else in there is somehow kind of telling us about, describing about his refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It says, first of all, when he was come to years. So uh, it, it seems to put the emphasis on there was a point in Moses' life when everything just clicked. And somehow or another, uh, God had spoken to Moses as well and revealed some things to him. I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture here in just a minute uh, to, to bring more of that out. But somehow Moses knew at a point in his life that God wanted him to do something specific in delivering the Israelites. They had been slaves now for roughly 400 years. I mean, that's a long time. That's longer than the United States of America has been a country. I mean, you know, and for us we think the last 240 some almost 250 years now is is a yeah, I mean, that's such a long time. But I mean, this is almost twice that long. So this is this is the Israelites existence what they've known for hundreds of years. And big changes are coming. But Moses again, somehow he came to realize this, We'd, and God had a, somehow or another God was revealing something to him. We don't know all the details of that again, but it says when he was come to years, and it says that he in, involved in this decision to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, involved in that, he was choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. I mean, this is amazing what all's in, involved here. He knew, all right, in order to make this, He was putting himself into a position where he's identifying with the slaves instead of the the captors, the taskmasters, the people in charge. And he's choosing rather to suffer than to enjoy, as the verses say, the pleasures of sin for a season. And he esteemed, this is interesting here, um, which verse is it here, Uh, verse 26, esteeming the reproach, of Christ. This is how the Bible words it here. This is amazing. Again, it, t- it tells me that Moses understood far more about this than what the book of Exodus presents to us, okay? Because the pu- the purpose of the presentation in Exodus is basically just giving you history. This is a you know, history of what happened. Now we're, we see places in the New Testament that go back and fill in some of those details that we don't know about from there, just like in the case with Abel and so on that we saw before, all right? So by faith, he, he understood all this, and he esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures uh, in Egypt. Somehow or another, Moses understood this was about a promised one, Christ, all right? All um, right? This is amazing when you start thinking about all of these things. So, uh, And he had, the next basic description here is, he had respect under the recompense of the reward. And so all this, again, has to do with this promise, this promise, this promise. Um, And then verse, uh, so he forsook Egypt. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Again, there's a whole lot involved here, but for sake of time, we've got to pass over some of this. Uh, the next verse by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assayed to do, were drowned. All right? All of that. And then Joshua comes into the picture here, verse 30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Verse 31, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Uh, It's interesting in in the book of uh, Joshua there when you go back and you read that about the spies coming to Jericho, Rahab tells the spies We know how God delivered you all and how he opened the Red Sea and all of this. And think about this, that was 40 years before that because the 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, so the the inhabitants of the land of Canaan seem to remember the acts of God more clearly than what the Israelites did who were the ones who experienced them. I mean, kind of interesting there. A lot of side lessons, if you want to say, involved in all of that. And then that brings us to the next point. But here's one thing. Before we leave that, I want to point out something else about uh, Moses or look at something. Go back to Acts chapter 7, the book of Acts chapter 7. And again, I, the whole point is pointing out here that what Moses did, he did by faith. All right? He, he was revealed, God revealed some things to him that we don't have record of, again, in the book of Exodus. This in Acts chapter seven. The context here: This is Stephen. Remember, uh, just before he's stoned, he 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 is speaking, basically preaching a sermon to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish leadership, and then they find, he gets to the end and points the finger at them and so on. And then they basically throw him out and and stone him. Right? Um, in the midst of his part, his whole. Sermon, he he goes back and kind of gives a history of God's working through Israel. and again, his point is to get to the Messiah Jesus, who then he accuses them of having killed, all right, And then they get mad at him and stone him then. But in the midst of all that, he's talking about these various aspects in in their history, and he speaks about Moses here, all right? Verse 20. Um, In Acts chapter 7, notice the Bible here says, this is Stephen preaching, but in in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair, again, interesting how the wording matches up with with other, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds." There's so many little things here that uh, are tempting to stop and talk about because, you know, Moses gave an excuse. I can't talk. According, according to what Stephen says, and we would say it's in court, included here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it would be true that Moses, he was mighty in words and deeds. All right? He was, he was but anyway, uh, I think there's reasons why Moses said what he did in the desert. All right? But anyway, it says, when he was, verse 23. When he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. It came into his heart. How did it come into his heart? Just pop into his heart one day with, no? I mean, obviously God's at work here. God's been telling Moses something, all right? came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For Now notice verse 25. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. This is... When Moses was still in Egypt, he's 40 years old. This is before he goes to the desert for 40 years, and then God sends him back. So according to to what Stephen says here, at this point, he knew that God was going to use him to deliver Israel out of Egypt. He just went about it the wrong way. I mean, obviously, it wasn't God's timing yet. And, I mean, there's so many lessons in this, obviously, but, but Moses understood this. And, again, it sheds more light. What I'm getting at is it sheds, it sheds more light on the two words in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses did this. So God had been working in Moses' life far, way before the burning bush experience, all right? And we just don't have record of all of that. But God was working, somehow Moses understood from God that God was going to use him to deliver Israel. He just, it seems that, it would seem he, he just preempts God's timing here and, and kind of takes matters into his own hands and, and so on. But ultimately God then, through 40 years in the desert of probably humbling him and working in his life, now he's ready. All right? and at that point he's so humble that he doesn't want to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, here he's chomping at the bits to do it, but he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. All right. So anyway, but by faith. So so in other words, Moses understood far more about all of that than what the book of Exodus records for us. Okay? But it was all, it was all by faith. So it was all part of God's plan. And what God had been telling His people, somehow or another, in probably in various ways and so on, down through those centuries, because this is hundreds of years uh, that they're in Egypt, all right. and now God, through Moses and through choices Moses made and so on, which obviously were necessary in the whole point, if, God, if Moses had not chosen to uh, forsake Egypt... Very likely, he never would have been the one that lead, to lead the Israelites out of the land. I mean, you know, again, there's there's so many what-ifs and all that we can ask. I mean, God may have done something different to get him ready for that. But, but the point is, it was by faith, all right? So now, let's go back to Hebrews 11, and uh, we see the next section here, verse 32 through 40, um, and just call I just call this the judges, kings, prophets, and following because it's kind of just like a summary of the rest of the Old Testament after you know, Moses and Joshua's day all right which is a lot of history <laughs> uh, but but again it's just it's just lumping a bunch of things in together right and but when this comes to the scheme of things and the promise, now they are living in the promised land at this point right because after Joshua's day that's when they went into the promised land. So initially there was just a promise to Abraham that, you know, then they had to endure 400 years of slavery. And uh, partly probably because God was working in the Israelites, but partly because God was also allowing things to ripen in the promised land with the Amorites. Remember God told Abraham before it ever happened that the, his, his descendants were going to be slaves for four hundred years, because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full, so God uses Israel as an instrument of judgment on those heathen nations now, and uh, brings them into the land. And then, once they're in the land, again, they never fully obeyed God and got rid of all the descendant, you know, the uh, the people there and all of this stuff. But and that that came back to haunt them numerous times. Uh, But the point is, what you see throughout this whole rest of this period is they're living in the land, but they're also struggling in that. It was not just some great life of ease. I mean, they were constantly struggling, and uh, both internally, because you see the kingdom dividing, you know, after Solomon, and I mean both internally and then, of course, with the people around them. But in in just summarizing all of that, the writer of Hebrews says here in verse 32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, David, also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Now, God is is leading the writer here to write these things, but it's almost as if from the human standpoint, the writer's just like, uh, you know, just thinking of a few names randomly here to put in here. Right, because he doesn't really say a lot of specifics about them, and note if you if you look carefully at the names, the names that he does list here are not in a chronological order; they're kind of mixed up here uh, through this. But he he does mention uh, six or so names here: Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. These are four of the judges during the the period of the judges. And then he says David and Samuel. Of course, Samuel came before David, but uh, Samuel was a great prophet, used of God. Also in a way, you could say he was the last judge, but Samuel is the trend trans- is, the, is the person of transition between the period of the judges to the period of kings. And uh, of course, Saul was the first king uh, in Samuel's lifetime. and then Samuel anoints David because Saul had sinned and, and God had cut off his, his line. Uh, and so on. And then basically the prophets, he, he says at the end of verse 32, and of the prophets, numerous, numerous names could be there. Do you realize there were many more prophets than what are ever named in the Old Testament as well? Because even, you know, the Lord Jesus and, and others, they refer back and they say, and all the prophets, I mean, there, was, there were a lot of prophets. God only recorded the, you know, His words through some of them that we have in the Bible but there were many, many, many other prophets and, and men that God used. And, and it's interesting, again, you think about that. We don't know their names. But God does, and he's got record of all of that. And, um, and then all of these, okay, notice they received not the promise. And the idea is that not yet. The promise hadn't come yet is the idea. There in verse 39, and all these having obtained a good report through faith... They were faithful, but they didn't receive the promise yet because it wasn't time. And as Galatians chapter three, verse 24 says, in the fullness of time, and I think I got the right verse. I might have the verse number mixed up there, but in the fullness of time, all right, Christ was born, the promised one came and Notice, notice again, at this point, okay, he's, he's named all these, and it's like he gets faster. And he spends a lot more time on the earlier people, and then he, he has to hurry and hurry and hurry, and I, I understand that. Uh, as it gets to the end, you know, to, to, to get finished here, so to speak, and he, he, he kind of crams all this in, okay, then notice chapter 12, all right? Chapter 12, in the scheme of an outline here, I've just called this, The great or greatest example, he's been talking about all kinds of examples of faith, right? But now the great, the greatest example of faith, uh, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice again, contextually here, what's the very first word of chapter 12? Wherefore, and again, that's a word that's drawing a conclusion, right? Based on, all right, everything he's just said because of all this. Then he points to Christ. All right? So, the greatest example of our faith, and, and, and uh, let me read verse 1 through 4 here. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, excuse me, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You can see in these verses that He's saying, all right, Because we have all this great cloud of witnesses, he calls it. In other words, this abundance of testimonies of people that have gone before and that were faithful to God, God God revealed things to them somehow, they responded to what he said in faith and did all of these things that are written about and many that aren't ever even written about. But God knows them, all right? Because of all that, we have this great cloud of witnesses, all right? What should we do? We should lay aside uh, the the weights and sin that does easily beset us, and we should run with patience the race that is set before us. Again, so he's he's drawing all all these examples and all this is for the purpose of exhorting the people he's writing to to not... Lose hope to keep the faith, right? Because of all of this. In other words, think about what all Abraham went through, but God was faithful to him. Think about what Moses went through, but God was faithful to him. And all these unnamed people, but God was faithful to them. So keep on because God will be faithful to you. That's that's basically the whole point of it, of what he's writing about here. All right? Um, and really in, okay, that's all I have about it there, but you have these first four verses of chapter 12 basically focusing on the Lord Jesus and his great example, okay? He is, he is the, the direct object of our faith. He's the one ultimately that our faith is about and in and on. It's the Lord Jesus, all right? It's not some generic you know, faith of whatever you want it to be, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, that's what he says, writes about in these four four verses here of chapter 12, because wherefore there are a multitude of good testimonies, good witnesses that have gone before us, all right, shows that it can be done if we'll trust God, we're to lay aside every weight, sin, we're to run patiently in our own struggle is the idea, the Uh, The word translated race is the idea of a struggle, but it does say to run, all right? So, um, it's not just a simple race. There's a lot of obstacles involved. And I I was thinking of some examples, but I'm not going to take the time to get into those right now. But then we're to keep, as we're running, we're to keep our eyes fixed on Christ while we run. He's the author, the finisher, which is basically that. He's the beginning and the end of our faith. He exchanged the joy of heaven for the shame of the cross. I've heard a lot of uh, things about verse 2, but the idea of who for the joy. The word for is the the preposition on T. It's the idea of instead of, and I I think the point is in verse 2, instead of all the joy that he had in heaven, he exchanged that for the cross. He exchanged that for. In other words, he, he chose. It, we, we understand, OK, that everything that Jesus did in becoming a man, living here on this earth, even the everything involved in that, was according to the will of God, yes, but at the same time, it was His choice to make. He willingly did it. He wasn't forced. He willingly did it. And part of that, again, is he's the great example that we're to follow, right? So that's why this is being brought out here. He had the joy of heaven before him. And instead, he set that aside, and notice how it's uh, worded here, despising the shame. His attitude was the shame and so on. He counted it as nothing. He disregarded it there was shame involved for him to come. I mean, he was ridiculed, he was, I mean, he was the object of scorn here on this earth and especially as he was on the cross, right? I mean, think of what he had in heaven from eternity past before that. Set that aside for this. But, the idea is in the end of all of that, He's now where? He's back, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, receiving the praise of heaven, receiving the glory of heaven. You read Revelation chapters 4 and 5, which are probably the the most extensive descriptions, I would say, that we have of heaven and what goes on in heaven. And what is it all about, basically? Worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean... We could say worshiping God, yes. I mean, it's His throne; it's it's clearly that, and Christ is at the right hand of that throne. But it's about worshiping Him, and so He's He's there in His rightful place. And part of the point of many passages in the Bible uh, make it clear that He has earned that right through what He's done. He deserves it because of who He is, yes. But He also earned it through what he did. He deserves it. And, I mean, think about this, and again, I've got to quit, but in, in Revelation, I think it's in chapter 5, in that part where uh, the question's asked, who is worthy to open the book, right? Talking about the seven-sealed book. And it says, no one was found worthy. But... One of the elders told John, you know, don't weep, weep not. So John's crying because nobody's found worthy. And, 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 and one of the elders says, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy. I mean, think about that. But the idea of that is it's not just because of who he is, but it's because he's earned it. He has the right to that because he's earned that through what he's done. And again, i got to stop, but but you see this whole point in Hebrews now? All these examples of faith, okay, he's exhorting us to faith in Christ. All these examples, now he's showing how Christ had faith. He's the greatest example of faith, and our faith is to be in him, all right? And so then we'll, we'll see more of that. And then in Hebrews 12, really, the idea of how God works in our lives now as Christians. That's what the next... Uh, Small section is in that, but let's let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that through Him and in Him we can have a relationship with You that uh, is unchanging. But of course, we have the responsibility to be faithful, and we uh, we pray that You would help us to keep our eyes where they belong and be faithful to You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.